This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. Thank you so much for joining us here at Pantsuit Politics, where we take a different approach to the news. Today, we're going to talk, you're going to hear, we're going to wonder, we're going to wonder about why the economy is so good, but Americans are so sad and mad, sad and mad, and what that means for the 2024 election. Yes, we are going to talk about those poll numbers from the New York Times, don't worry. And then outside of politics, we're taking an amalgam. We're going to refuse to separate Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas, and we're going to talk about them together and important areas of overlap in holiday management, holiday storage, holiday feelings. We got a lot for you to hear today at Pantsy Politics. We got a lot all week, because if you are in Louisiana or Mississippi, we'll be speaking in both states this week. We'll be at Southeastern Louisiana University in Hammond, Louisiana on Thursday afternoon. We'll be speaking to the Diabetes Coalition of Mississippi Friday morning. Both of these events are open to the public. We would love to see you there. You can find more information in our show notes today. We also want to say this is a hard time for conversation in the world. If your organization is finding, particularly with the Israel-Hamas war, that you need help, we do in-person events and online events where we really try to allow space for people to feel heard. We try to give everyone actionable language and ideas to move forward. And when we're with an organization in person, it is not about our opinions. It is about helping people stay in relationship with each other through difficult things. So please reach out to Elise if we can be of service to you or your organization during this really difficult time. Up next, we're going to talk about numbers. We're going to talk about economic numbers. We're going to talk about poll numbers. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. 
It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. We have gotten a lot of economic news in the last week. Of course, we had the beginning of the month jobs report. The Bureau of Labor and Statistics reported Friday that U.S. employers added only 150,000 jobs in October. Now, that's half the number added in September, and it's a little below expectations. And so you would ask yourself, why did the stock market respond so positively to this below expected <laughs> jobs added to the economy. And it is because everything's a little bit weird right now. It's a little weird. It's the upside down. And the slowing of the labor market growth indicates that the raising of the interest rate is having the desired effect. Because if everything keeps growing all the time, that is going to lead to more inflation. And so we're looking for that delicate balance of unemployment where we would like it to be, which cannot be too low or too high. I know that we all wish there were just zero unemployment, but that is actually not what we wish. No. So unemployment in the right range, job growth in the right range, prices in the right range. It's a hard chemistry to try to concoct. We also heard from the Federal Reserve. Beth, maybe you've heard the term soft landing, which is what you just described and that we spend a lot of time talking about. And, you know, the indication was that the Fed is getting close to wrapping up this tightening and that there would be smaller than expected borrowing from the Treasury. And so the the bond market got a little relief. We talked about that on a few episodes that, you know, the interest rate rises, the long-term bond yields fall and inverse to that. But the Fed announced they're going to leave rates unchanged. They're not going to raise rates. Jerome Powell said, we're seeing some positive indicators. Now, he is not an effusive man. That's not what you want in a Fed chair. He was not hyperbolic in any way, shape, or form. But bond markets responded positively. The yields on those long-term bonds dropped to their lowest level in three weeks. And we still have economic growth. The U.S. economy is growing at a whopping 4.9%. Beth, I remember during the Trump administration, we would talk about, like, we can't have 3% forever. Like, it's going to get into 2%. And here we are sitting at almost 5%. That's not a number I even had in my range of possibility as far as economic growth. And it has pros and cons, right? There there Mm -hmm. are aspects of that that are extremely positive, especially when you think about the fact that we're still coming out of COVID. And I think that's why you don't see enthusiasm from Jerome Powell, even if he were an enthusiastic person, because 
it tells you we we still have to watch for things overheating in a way that causes inflation to continue to rise. Well, and we're spending. Americans are spending. And I read a really interesting article from Canada that talked about some of the reason you see economic growth in the U.S. that is really an outlier. Like, seems like what is happening in the United States that the economy is doing this well? I'm using well in quotation marks because we're going to get to the fact that that's not how people feel about the economy, but that it's growing at such a high rate. And and they pointed to two really interesting factors that I think Americans feel and understand, at least one of them. Um, one big thing is that, and I think we've talked about this on the show before, that particularly in places like Britain and in Canada, they have adjustable rate mortgages at a much, much higher percentage than we do. And so when interest rates rise, that hits them hard. It hits them really, really hard in a way, you know, we sign on 30-year mortgages. And if, you know, it, it hits people who want to become homeowners hard in the United States, but it doesn't hit people who are already homeowners. I mean, I refinanced during the pandemic. Are you kidding me? Like, it's basically free money. Um, And so I think that that's a big difference with the United States. And then also, the U.S. government has just been on a spending spree. All that once-in-a-lifetime legislation that we talk about a lot on the show, the infrastructure deal, the CHIPS Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, that's a lot of money being pumped into the United States economy. In addition to all the money that we did in the Recovery Act, it's still being spent, right. that's still out there floating around that people are still making decisions about. Now, some of that is starting to come to an end, which is part of, I think, the tension between the feeling of, like, are things going well or not? But there is still just a lot of money circulating in ways that I don't know that I've experienced before. Here's where we get to the weird part, okay? Because you you sent me a piece from Jonathan Last at The Bulwark that's like, do we have some sort of, like, economic delusion? What's going on here? Because, you know, I'm 42. For most of my life, you know, I grew up sort of post-Clinton presidency where the, the famous phrase, what was the famous phrase? It's the economy, stupid. When the economy was doing well, Americans were happy. I've talked a lot before about that moment. It was like a month after 9-11. And I'll never forget that the, like, top issue for Americans was the economy. And so the popular political understanding was if the economy is doing well, which I think 4.9 percent is well, I think these employment numbers can be described as well. You know, like things are going good. People have a lot of money. They're spending money. Americans should be happy. Americans who are mostly concerned with the economy should be happy. And what we have is a just complete inverse. We have a complete opposite reaction. The economy is doing well, and Americans are miserable. And will specifically respond to questions about the economy as the source of that misery, that mm -hmm. we have this real gap in perception versus what the numbers say are happening. Even when you ask people pretty specifically what's going on, their responses do not match what we measure is happening, which tells you that there is a lot behind that, that maybe we don't have measurements to capture. 
Yeah. And it's like the measurements we've used are broken. So in that article, he talks about two things. He talks about the National Federation of Independent Businesses, which polls small business owners. And they measure the hard indicators like sales, profits, job openings, capital expenditures, and then the soft indicators, which are surveys. How do you actually feel? And it's just a chasm. Usually those numbers track, right? The small business owners feel good when those hard indicators are going well. Well, post-COVID, this chasm opened up. And you look at this graph, and the hard indicators are going great. And the soft indicators, the attitude of these small business owners, is completely detached from the indicators of their bottom line. Then you have this other measurement from, I think it was the University of Michigan, about consumer sentiment. Again, chasm opening up. Used to be dependable. If Americans were spending, consumer sentiment was positive. Well, now we're spending, but we're all happy. We're so sad about the economy. And it's not even these, like, small indicators. It's just, it's these big polls. Americans report less confidence than they did at the start of the COVID pandemic. They feel about the economy like they did during the depths of the Great Recession, despite the fact that real median net worth for U.S. households is up, like, almost 40 percent. On an inflation-adjusted basis. Yes! So we have all this money, everything's going well, and people are so mad and sad and pissed off. And it is easy to read about this and look at this information and think, well, what is wrong with all of us? Mm -hmm. I don't feel that way, though, because I feel like a bunch of things are happening here. Beginning with the fact that we are affected by the experience of COVID. I sit on committees And I'm still stunned by the fact that every meeting, COVID comes up in some form. It's just mentally very present. And I think the fact that it's still so present for people, even as we're so fatigued by it and don't want to talk about it anymore and are sick to death of it, combined with the fact that some of those COVID dollars are starting to dry up, some of the relief that we provided around COVID is going away, The fact that student loan payments are resuming, interest is accruing again, that some of the relief funding that was available for a couple of years is is not going to be available going forward. Your mental space is not, oh, my gosh, there's been so much money out there and look at how all these indicators are trending. It's, yikes, I'm not out of this period yet. And I see that the world is moving on and I'm not sure that we can sustain with the world moving on. And I'm trying to play with my understanding of the world and how it's changed. There's a part of me that's like, James Carville is still right. Maybe it's not that it's the economy stupid. Maybe it's that it's the price is stupid. And what really put it together for me, I was listening to The Economist this morning, and there was a report on changes in behavior post-COVID and how in countries that had an easier time managing it, you're seeing a return to pre-COVID levels in the retail and services space, but in like in New Zealand, that they're going back to the hair salon, they're traveling more. But that the numbers, despite all this reporting we hear about people flooding back to airports and people traveling and all that stuff, that in countries like the United States or in places in Europe, probably China, I think you'll see this, you haven't seen a return. And they were calling it the Herman era. People have gotten more comfortable staying home and staying secluded and even subconsciously maybe a fear 
that they can't quite shake off of going out and doing those things. Okay, well, if you're in a hermit era, right, what's going to play on your psyche the most? It's prices. And they are very high. This was in an article I read. A pound of bacon costs an average of $7.08 in the U.S., 21% more than when Biden took office. The price of coffee beans has risen 33%. A gallon of gas is 72% more expensive. And that's like, I, I mean, this comes up all the time in my life. People talk about this all the time. So I think that, yes, we don't live in quarantine anymore. That experience permanently changed people's behaviors in a way that I think that inflationary pressure is going to play an outsized role in how you feel about the economy. And I think reinforcing that hermit era is the fact that when you go out, you are often having experiences that were not as good as the experiences you had before the pandemic. So many service industries are having a very difficult time hiring anyone, which means that when you go in, it's slow or the service isn't great or the facility isn't as nice as it used to be. We get more takeout now than we did before the pandemic because we just see that the places are struggling. They're struggling to hire enough people to make dining in a great experience. And so I think some of those factors like I'm I'm not avoiding public spaces by any means at this point in my life because of concerns about communicable disease. But I am avoiding some public spaces because I think like that's just going to be hard and uncomfortable and and why. And I and I can still support this business with my dollars by just taking it to go. I'm sorry that Taylor Swift is such a good example of so many things. I mean, I apologize to the universe that this woman is so good at her job. I think it's true of Beyonce too. Like people who crack the code who found a way to not only bring it back, but make it better, Barbie comes to mind. Well, then you got people back. Then you got people back in that pattern of behavior. Maybe it's not a complete pattern of behavior, but that's not true for all concerts. A lot of people canceled. Things got rearranged. The chicks canceled. They were sick all the time. Bruce Springsteen canceled. Like, so it's not true for everybody, but the people who figured out how to do that, I think that's true for like movies and a lot of places. But yeah, I think you're right. I think it changed people or it became more difficult. And so that inflationary pressure is felt and we don't feel like we're getting anything extra out of it. I thought this was excellent. I felt like I felt like the New York Times stole our approach a little bit in this article because there was just this paragraph that was really like, let's talk about the emotional processing part of this that I thought was so good. It was about inflation, obviously. It says, inflation also contributes to a sense of powerlessness. Rising prices feel like something done to people rather than a problem they brought on themselves. And short of cutting their spending, individuals cannot do much about inflation. And I thought, is that not the gospel truth? That is so accurate. That's the truth. I think we're also just reflecting on the parts of the bargain we've struck as Americans that that we don't like. I was sitting with a friend at a church meeting on Sunday and there was some discussion about needing more volunteers, which is a, a perpetual issue for everybody everywhere, right? If you try to do something good in the world, you need more people to help. And my friend leaned over to me and said, don't you think that some of this is just COVID? Like people did less during COVID. They liked doing less. They liked it. And where you can cut out doing more, a lot of people are cutting out doing more. 
And there aren't many places where we feel like we can cut out doing more because we are so culturally ingrained to our strong work ethic. Our businesses are constantly asking for that strong work ethic. We, as parents have a sense that we must be doing everything for the kids all the time, even worse after COVID because we're like making up to them for what we feel they Mm -hmm. lost during that period. And so sometimes when I read stories about how unhappy everybody is with the economy, I think, well, I don't know that this is about prices or the stock market at all as much as it's about like, I don't like things in my life. I don't like that I don't have time to hang out with friends. I don't like that I feel I should be exercising more, but I can't figure (laughs) out that with my work schedule. I don't like that the prices are higher and I can't do anything about it. I don't like that the country is spending all this money and I'm aware of all this spending, but I don't see the results in my life. I don't like that every time I'm trying to help an organization, all I hear is that everything needs more money. Yeah. Even when you sit and agree with all the priorities that are being discussed in like a nonprofit meeting or a, a school board meeting or a church meeting, just hearing like, well, we need more, more, more everywhere is kind of demoralizing. And so that is to me maybe the sense behind all of it. Just, hey, fundamentally, I'm not good with the society that we have built. And everything in me rejects attempts to change it fundamentally. And this is part of what I think is so frustrating for for the Biden administration. We're going to get into that. (laughs) We're going to get into that. I do want to say this before we move on to Biden and and the struggle to help Americans through this process. (laughs) Some of this is everybody spent a lot more money on their houses and made them more comfortable and they just want to be there. Right. Like some of this isn't I'm un- I'm uncomfortable with everything or I'm happy with everything. I think some of this is I like being in my house. I spent a lot of money during COVID to make my house really great. Now, I think that's a can be a dangerous instinct. I say that as a person who works from home um, and who spent a lot of time and energy and continue to to always make my house comfortable and and fun and easy to be in. But I do worry not just because of our attitudes about the economy, that this like change in behavior is problematic because of the wear and tear on our institutions, right? Like, I mean, and fundamentally, we all looked around during COVID and and it exposed so many of the weaknesses and the problems. Some of the inflationary reality to me is like, well, things weren't as expensive as they should have been. I don't care if we're paying more for gas. I know that is so hard on people's pocketbooks. I know that is an extreme price pressure to so many Americans. And I don't want to downplay that. I don't want to downplay that because I can't afford a tank of gas. But gas is expensive. It costs us so much. It costs us to drill the oil. It costs us to process the oil. It costs us. It's not a cheap thing. And I feel that about our food systems. They cost us. A pound of bacon has an enormous cost, more than even the $7 we're paying for it right now. Even interest rates. I don't think I like what free money did to the economy or to our sense of what things should cost, what things do cost. And so there's a part of me that's like, I think the shift of thinking about it as inflation and more thinking about it as investment could be a helpful way to not only think about it as Americans, but maybe even help the Biden administration talk about it. 
I think that's true for those of us who can afford the investment. Mm -hmm. It's unclear to me when I look at polling averages, who's responding to these polls. The polls reflect what I hear in my communities. But there are different literal and metaphorical classes of problems associated with high prices. And it is unclear to me how much these polls reflect people who cannot afford the tank of gas as things stand. I see in measurements of the success of pandemic-era programs that we meaningfully reduced poverty. But meaningfully reducing poverty in the aggregate and on average doesn't reflect everyone's experience. And I can imagine that that meaningful reduction in poverty doesn't feel as meaningful because of rising prices. So it's just hard to get out of my own experience in talking about these issues. It resonates completely with me to say there are some things that we just need to invest in. And there are some fundamental shifts that have to happen. But I don't want to lose sight of the fact that what is annoying for me or what is even concerning for me when I look towards things like retirement is not the same for everyone. This sunk in a little bit over the weekend. I spent a day with my mom and aunt and we were talking about mortgage rates. And they both remembered the mortgage rates on their very first homes. And those rates were much higher than the rates today much, much higher. They would have been delighted to get what you can get today for a new mortgage. So it told me two things. One, that some of this is a matter of expectation and perspective, and we have been living very, very low rates for so long that our expectations have shifted. The window has adjusted, right? But the other is just we cannot discount how emotional it is. For for my mom to remember, you know, 40 years later what the mortgage rate on her first home was, it's deeply personal. And I think that's why the politics of it are so complicated. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about that poll from the New York Times and what these economic numbers seem to mean for Biden's re-election chances. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. 
We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E.com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. So the emphasis on emotion is very helpful to me, Beth. I'm really giving myself some pep talks around polling. Maybe it's just because I just saw Mean Girls, and my favorite line in that musical is, when you're feeling attacked, that's a feeling, not a fact. That I thought, okay, here is the pep talk I'm going to give myself about polls. Polls are excellent data about how people feel. They are not excellent data about who's going to win the election, especially not a year out. But the how people feel part is important. And we should pay attention to that. And so that's what I'm trying to do. Instead of just kind of being like, it's so far away, I'm not going to pay attention to polls. I'm going to ignore them. I'm trying to say, what does this say about how people feel? And I do think these polls are very relevant to our discussion about the economy. For those of you who don't know, the New York Times and Siena released a poll that showed Donald Trump up five points, several points in many key states. And it also shows a drop in support among Black and Latino voters for Joe Biden, which was a key part of his winning coalition in 2020. And when you scratch at the polls, what you see is a lot of economic emotion surrounding those polls. You know, Nate Cohen wrote something about this poll, and he said it shows voters' frustration. It doesn't mean they love Donald Trump, they want to vote for Donald Trump. They're trying to express their frustration by saying, I'll vote for anybody right now. I'm so mad about this economic situation. And that plays out like to what you were saying. That means something different for different people. That could be inflation among black voters. It could be with Latino voters, this, you know, change in the job market and industry in rural areas, particularly around fossil fuels. So it can mean a lot of different things. But what that's showing us is there's a high, high feeling of frustration with the economy and therefore with Joe Biden. And I think, unfortunately, our political class analyzes Black voters versus Latino voters versus white, college-educated, non-college, better than they analyze economic brackets. There are many wealthy Black voters in the Cincinnati suburbs who I think feel differently about this than very urban, poor Black voters. And so I'm trying to do a better job for myself, like stepping back to say, which sorting mechanism might give us a clearer picture of what's going on so that we can better 
message to Target addressed the very real concerns here. I also see in these polls a reflection of the fact that I think for the average person who is not following news and politics constantly, there is just a, like, are you kidding me sense that this election is likely to be Biden versus Trump? I just think people are in a state of disbelief. And I know that time is getting short for that to shift, but it doesn't feel like it's getting short. November 2024 feels like a really long time from now to most people. And so I think if you're being polled on something like Biden versus Trump and you just want to blow off some steam about the way things are, and in the back of your mind, you think it can't be Biden versus Trump, can it? Like, I don't know what you're trying to say, but I can imagine you're trying to say a number of things other than we want Donald Trump to win the Electoral College by like upwards of 300 votes. Yeah. I mean, I think David Leonhard did a really good thing. And he was talking about what I mentioned before, that America doesn't invest in the way it used to in research and sort of future oriented mindsets for a lot of different reasons. And Americans are worse off for it. It's not just the immediate economic impact of inflationary pressure that Americans are responding to. Our standard of living for a lot of Americans is lower. Our mortality rates are higher. People feel like they work harder. They don't make as much money. And they're dealing with massive problems like particularly drug addiction and overdose deaths that have gotten precipitously worse. Again, when you hear Oliver Anthony singing that song, that's why that song went viral. I work harder and it doesn't go as far. And they're not wrong about that. Even with this current moment when people are flush with cash, when we have a lot of cash, people don't need it explained to them and they don't shouldn't have to explain it that that cash doesn't go as far as it used to and not just because of inflation. And so I think that sense of, you know, distrust, it's it's something I think we talked about a long time ago. How do you convince people these institutions are struggling and we have to pour money and our time? Back to even your volunteering question. We have to leave our houses and go get uncomfortable and invest and take some risk if we want to turn this around. Because what is the alternative? Like, I read this sort of list of Zoomer attitudes from a Zoomer. It was like an interview in Jonathan Haidt's newsletter, and it was like, marriage is a waste of time, religion is a joke, being an American is embarrassing, work, I want to quiet quit, community, I can just hang out with my online friends. Then what are we doing? (laughs) Okay, So we're just, our primary identity is consumers. Well, that's why people are pissed off because that's not even a great identity right now because everything's so expensive. So, you know, I think if I'm Joe Biden and I say we're still in the long, hard work of restoring the soul of America, that doesn't happen in four years. It takes an enormous amount of investment and it takes a belief and a faith that we can do it, that there is a future for America. I believe there is a future for America. I think Joe Biden believes there's a future for America. But that's a tough message coming from an 80-year-old. And I think that's what's really hard. And that's the stuff that's hard to ignore. When you have 75% of people saying he is too old, I don't know how the Biden administration thinks about that. And that's why my thinking has even shifted about this recently, because I'm just seeing so many chess pieces inside the Democratic Party moving around in ways that make me think everybody's thinking this number is too high of people who just cannot with an 80-year-old. 
They want to can, but they cannot. I have such a hard time with this because the most rational case I can make to myself about the next election right now, and again, I am aware this is a case that is compelling to exactly no one. This is just me and the way that I think about things, and I have definitively learned in our eight years of podcasting that I am usually alone. The most rational case that I can make to myself about the next election is that the conditions of the world necessitate continuity. Yeah. That it is not even about Joe Biden as much as it is about the administration. That this is not a time, even in the next year, it will not be a time when we need hundreds of consequential, high-level positions to turn over, that we need months for people to be confirmed to those positions, that they need months to get up to speed on some of the hardest things that have happened in recent memory across the globe. So in my mind, stability is the right vote, even if I don't love everything that comes with it. And I think that case is so hard because of his age, because you kind of feel like you're taking an awfully big risk in the interest of stability. Right. That's tough. That is really, really tough. And that's where I think, just personally, I wish that a lot of the energy and effort that is being spent right now by the Democratic Party to tell us all that no, Joe Biden will be fine, would be invested in Vice President Harris. I know that it is an uphill climb for her, but she polls better than he does now. And I think that if people would get good and mad on her behalf, it would connect with a lot of people. All those profiles that came out of her a few weeks ago, I have never felt so defensive of anyone because it seemed to me that she was sitting down with reporters who spent their precious time with the vice president of the United States saying, why do you think people don't like you? And it was offensive. And that would connect with so many women. Yeah. Understand how many women have been in the position of hearing like, Hodge, why, why are you so fill in the blank? Why are you not enough? this for people. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wish that there would be some confidence and some energy saying the Biden-Harris administration needs to continue now under the leadership of Vice President Harris with this running mate from this administration. We want to keep this going. We are doing good work and hard work, but we recognize that it's time for a transition in the leadership. I just want everyone to think outside the box. Look at all these economic indicators. Look at these polls. Look at all this traditional political understanding that's upside down, that Republicans are hawks, that the economy is good and people are happy. Like, okay, so let's just throw some shit at the wall, see what sticks. What if they came out and said Kamala is going to be the president and he's going to be the vice president because we believe in continuity and stability and we want to transition to a new generation of leadership. But we think that Joe Biden, because then that sort of solves your lame duck problem. Right. And I understand that in this particular moment in history, because of everything you just articulated, Joe Biden is not exactly anxious to announce to the world that he's a lame duck. Get it. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. It's scary out there. That's not what we want. So just say she's going to be president and he's going to be vice president. I don't care. But something is happening. Look, I've been the Democrat for a long time. I spent a lot of portion of my life working inside the Democratic Party. Gavin Newsom, Pritzker in Illinois. Even Dean Phillips running, something is going on. People are moving money around. 
Gavin Newsom went and met with Xi Jinping. He's debating DeSantis. Something is going on. And I don't know if it's just that everyone's looking at these poll numbers and thinking people do not want Trump and Biden. Because we're like, it's like this really weird game of chicken. The Republicans know that maybe, just maybe, the only person Donald Trump can beat is Joe Biden. And the Biden administration knows that maybe, just maybe, the only person Joe Biden can beat is Donald Trump. And so it's this weird, like, well, who's going to pull the trigger first to say, well, that's going to be our president? I do think electorally there is less risk for the Democrats to say, we're going to pick the next generation and for Joe Biden to step back. But I think security-wise, politically, that's a much more difficult calculus. Weirdly, on the Republican side, (laughs) electorally, it's not as easily a calculus for them because they have a base that's so invested in Donald Trump. It's so weird. But for the first time in months, and I have very little to go on except for my gut and my understanding of Democrats and their ability to move as one and keep a secret, I feel, since we're in a polling space here, a mathematical space with polling and economy, I feel like 20 to 35 percent less confident that Joe Biden's going to be the nominee than I did even a month ago. I feel very confused by which part of my brain is doing wishful thinking versus Mm -hmm. living in the real world. It's part of why I try not to look at these polls and blow them off. I want to be confronted with information that troubles me. Right, 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 right. It troubles me, just to be really clear about something that probably doesn't need to be said, it troubles me that any poll would show a race tight with Donald Trump versus just about anyone. That troubles me. I need to confront the information that troubles me, though. So I was thinking this weekend about the same thing, like, out of the box. I also thought about what if they just switched places. I thought about what if the Republican field so goes down in the early contest that Trump becomes inevitable and they put Nikki Haley on the Democratic ticket? What if the Democrats did the unity ticket concept? Because I do think Nikki Haley would bring in the kind of tent that Democrats need to win the Electoral College. Now, this is all so hard, right? Because turning out the Democratic base is so different from winning a swing state. And that's a problem that Republicans don't really have to confront in the same way. That's why they lose. It's not that they don't have to confront it. It's just they refuse to. And that's why they keep losing the popular vote. That's why they lose the popular vote and still stay extremely competitive in the Electoral College and have a slight advantage some years in the Senate and are able to win the House. I'm glad I don't have to make the decision about any of this. As a voter, I do feel myself thinking the entire country seems to be rejecting what is the most probable outcome at this moment, and that's bad for us. Yeah. That is collectively bad for us and bad for the American experiment. And surely, as Americans, we are innovative enough to figure out how to run an election a year from now with two candidates that more people find broadly acceptable. Yeah. Well, and not to just fully connect this analysis and to turn it into a flat circle of confusion, but like maybe it's not just the economics influencing the electoral prospects, but the electoral prospects influencing the way people feel about the world, a.k.a. the economy. Like, maybe there's just this sense of like, yeah, you're telling me things are going to be fine, but I don't feel that. Like, my family group text somebody sent, 
that like dumb restaurant sign that people just fill in. It was like, has anybody tried unplugging and plugging the United States back in again? And like, you know, I I just want to say like, I struggle because I see and feel the malaise and also fundamentally reject it. Do not agree with it. I reject it. I reject it. I think that there are many things going right in America. I don't think we need to unplug it and plug it back in. I think we will survive 2024, even if it is Biden and Trump. I think sometimes you have to hit rock bottom. And baby, that is our rock bottom electorally so that we have a brash, exciting, wonderful new generation of leaders. Maybe that's it, right? I also believe that Trump is showing up in the polls the way he is because people forgot what Donald Trump is like. And in a weird way, it's like this criminal and civil liability is like making that possible. I don't know. It's like super weird that him being held responsible in this this fundamental way is like kind of keeping him out of people's peripheral vision news-wise. I don't think that will remain the same, though, right? I don't think that will continue. Even if we don't get a verdict in Georgia, that is going to be a televised trial. He will absolutely violate some court order and talk out of turn. He's also off his game and, you know, saying weird things and misspeaking. He's grumpy. He's angry. That will reveal itself to people as the election gets more coverage and it gets more in more people's faces. I agree with the analysis in the New York Times this morning that there is an anti-MAGA majority. I think it will grow the more coverage he gets in 2024. Now, I don't know if that's wishful thinking or me comforting myself, but I do believe a lot of that to be fundamentally true. Well, I think Mike Johnson is quite bad for Donald Trump, too, because Mm. Mike Johnson as the speaker is this very extreme person in ways that the broad majority of Americans disagree with. And I think that the more that reveals itself the worse it is for Trump. But the problem on the Biden side of things is that his age only goes one direction. Yeah. But so does Trump's. So does Trump's. But Joe Biden (laughs) is not going to be or seem younger a year from now. And that's there's nothing he can do about that. And that stinks. It also stinks that he ran saying, I want to help get things back to normal. But a lot of components of normal are hard after abnormal. It Mm -hmm. is hard to have interest rates that are more normal after we lived on near zero for so long. It is hard for people to go back to the office after they stayed at home for a while. Mm -hmm. It is hard to have a president who doesn't communicate a lot after a president who was in our faces 24-7. He has normalized that use of the bully pulpit back to where it was, and people say, well, he seems meek. Or he seems weak, or I don't think he has the energy for the position. And a lot of that is because he's doing what he said he would do. And where he's been transformational, it's in ways that people don't feel the benefits of yet, but they do feel the burdens of, or at least the psychological concern about. All of those reasons are the reasons that I would give Joe Biden a very high grade as a one-term president, as somebody who came in and said, I'm just going to do the hard stuff. And set it up for next time. And I'm going to take the fallout and do the hard stuff. Watching his popularity decline after he announced that he would run again. And watching 
how many people use a lot of words to, in effect, say, I just think he's too old. I, I don't know what he does on the other side of this. And that is no disrespect to him as a person or as a president. I'm just trying to really contend with, like, the facts as they exist. Yeah. It's so impossibly unfair. He's doing an exceptional job with this conflict. I know that many progressives are furious with him about his support for Israel. And I don't want to get into that right now. But I think diplomatically, I don't sense any unethical disdain or even disregard. I think him and Antony Blinken are just weighed down with the responsibility, and they are doing the absolute best they can. And I I have read about the diplomatic cables. I have read about the DNC emails. Like, I understand that their own employees have taken issue with the decisions they've made. But often, that is the sign of leadership. Leadership does not mean everybody agrees with you. It means you follow the decision-making, you follow the strategy, you follow the principles, even in difficult times. And look, that's true putting the conflict between Israel and Hamas aside. The Biden administration, to do that back-to-normal stabilization governing, has led us to the highest domestic oil production ever in October 2023. We produced more oil and gas here in the United States in October 2023 than we ever have before. And they can't tout that as an accomplishment because so much of their base finds that abhorrent in the face of climate change. There are a number of places where they are damned if they do and damned if they don't. And the way you discuss your accomplishments and your record depends entirely on the audience you're speaking to. And people don't like that either. Then it feels like you're being lied to or you're disingenuous with someone. I mean, we've we've just made running for president pretty tough, to put it lightly. <laughs> Listen, if Joe Biden was my grandfather, I would say, Pop, I love him so much. I, I feel that level of warmth and affection for him. And I would say, don't prove this in an election. You're 80 years old. The benefit of age should tell you that history is the record you care about. History is the record you care about, and it will be kind to you. I have almost no doubt about that. If nothing else happens, if he messes up from this point forward, I do think history will speak kindly of even one term from Joseph Biden. And I I don't know. I, I wish he could see that. I wish he could see that. I don't think he's blind. I don't think he is unself-aware. I think he rightfully tells himself everything you said about stability, everything he knows. He is talking to Netanyahu three times a week. He's dealing with Saglinski still. He's worried about the like I can I know I can yep. get there. I'm not unsympathetic. I I can't fathom the pressure he feels knowing that I am old and that's why I'm doing such a good job at this and no one seems to care. Like, I can't, I I get it. I get it. Well, and also, I listen to a lot of bulwark commentary and they would say, this whole conversation is fantasy. It's going to be Joe Biden. It's too late to make a change. So everybody's got to go all in on Joe Biden because the most important thing is not reelecting Donald Trump. And I agree with that too. Yep. I agree with that too. The piece I would bring in that I think would also 
be very present in my mind if I were President Biden or his daughter or granddaughter, is that if he gets out, I do think because Democrats have not rallied around Vice President Harris the way that I think would have been prudent, that it will be an open race. Yeah. And that is something that gets tough. It gets tough with the money and the timing and the calendar where we are. And I don't know that America is going to be generally more excited about Gavin Newsom or or Pritzker or whoever emerges in that wide open race. And I think you have just a total disaster within the Democratic base over a bunch of white guy governors running against Vice President Harris. And and so in that regard, it's like, how does he balance what these polls say about the entirety of the country versus what the people who are most invested in the political process see and do and how they will react if he if he decides to come out of the process. Yeah, it's just hard. And I like I just kind of want to be like, just think outside the box. I respect the bulwark, but everything is in the upside down. I don't think you can say like, this is a fantasy land. Well, yeah, look at the economic numbers. We live in some sort of weird disconnect fantasy land in lots of ways. And I, I have really learning that so many things I learned and understood to be political realities are no longer true. I mean, hell, we had two popes for a while. Why can't we have a president as a vice president, right? Like, that was weird, but we did it. You know, like, I think we just have to understand and respect that the world is different. That is a thing we have not accepted with the economy, and that's why we're all so angry all the time. And I think the sooner the political class, and that's what makes me think some of the political class is figuring this out because these chess pieces moving, people writing checks to the mayors of South Carolina as the governors of Illinois tells me that some people think, yeah, the political reality is different now and the rules are different because the political reality and the rules before you would never, ever do that, ever. And so— I don't know. I don't know. Well, and I keep thinking about Mike Johnson's ascension to Speaker of the House because it's Lord. just a genuinely remarkable thing. I do wonder if we are in a climate where you think less about a campaign and more like a product launch and where it would be an advantage for someone to pop up at the last minute. That's clearly the no labels calculus. They have floated out there for a while Perhaps we'll have somebody get in late. And if you think that that's a strategy that could in any universe be successful, you're thinking about that like a product launch. And that might be right. Today, that might be closer than months and months of Iowa State Fair and New Hampshire door to door and then South Carolina and then Super Tuesday. Maybe that's right. I I don't know. I feel a real sense of humility about this upcoming election because of everything that we've learned over the past couple of years. Well, and so maybe our posture is the posture we take at godly play. I wonder. And we say, I wonder. I wonder. I wonder. That's the posture I'm going to try to take around polling. I wonder. Mm -hmm. I would like to see Americans adopt that posture around the economy. I wonder. So continue to wonder with us here at Pantsuit Politics. Let's keep wondering together is how we get quickly. (laughs) A different approach to the news where we keep wondering together. Next up, we're going to talk about what's on our mind outside politics. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. 
I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Okay, Beth, I have an idea. What we're going to do on the outside of politics is we're going to take, like, an amalgam of the holidays. You wanted to talk about holiday storage, which I think comes in with Halloween. We wanted to talk about our Christmas card exchange. And I want to talk about this idea of Thanksgiving versus Christmas. And I want to smush them all together. 
because that is, in fact, my actual strategy in real life. Can you say more about that? Okay. For example, Erin Moon in her email did a poll, and she was like, do you protect Thanksgiving at all costs? Do you set it for Christmas the second Halloween is over? But there was a missing third option, which is the one I take, which is both. I take both as well. Yeah. It's like breastfeeding formula feeding, guys. There, this is a false dichotomy, okay? We have been told a lie. We have perpetuated that lie that you must choose. And I say, no. I currently have in my house gooseberry wreaths and pumpkins. Mm-hmm. Is someone going to come out and arrest me? No. Yes, I both have a room full of wrapped gifts and addressed Christmas cards. Yep. As well as a balloon display of orange and yellow ready for Thanksgiving. Exactly. Why should we limit our joy at a time when life is hard enough? 100%. Now, I will say Halloween is a deadline-esque place in my holiday celebration. I do not mix Halloween and Christmas. Correct. But I do think we should embrace fall as this nice middle ground transition. Fall harvest. Well, nature does that. Right. right? And I think the theme of gratitude easily spans November 1 to January 5th or so. Yes. It is also the case that nothing is going to be normal during this period anyway. You are in a space where the calendar says something different is going on. Mm -hmm, If mm -hmm. you decorate for anything at all, you're decorating in some way. Like the house isn't normal. The boxes are out for the things that you store the rest of the year, (laughs) yeah, you know, which is a a constant problem for me. I would love to decorate more, but I don't want to store any more stuff. Okay, this is the other part of this conversation that I think is vitally important for humanity. I don't want to be hyperbolic. Okay, I first have to tell you one of my favorite stories. When we bought our house, the one thing I was concerned about is that the attic was finished. It gave me enough bedrooms for my children, but it took away my holiday storage. And I was like, I'm going to have to keep my Christmas in the garage, which is the worst case scenario for me personally. I don't want to do that. I don't like that idea. I'm not here for it. Okay. I have a lot of Christmas. I'm showing my friend Lacey my new house. We're in our bonus room. There's a closet. There's a cedar closet in there. And she's like, what's this? And she finds a door. And Beth, that was like the room of requirement. She finds this little latch in the back of the closet. She opens it up. And there is extra finished attic space, not very much, but just enough to hold all of my holiday decorating. I saw you open that door the last time I was at your house, and I don't like to be a person of envy, but I did feel it. I liked just everything about that, the secretness of it. It's so secret. You wouldn't know. I didn't know. The utility of it. Now, it's on the second floor. That is the thing I would change. Really, you want your holiday storage on the first floor. But now I have a proliferation of men in my house. So I was like, yesterday I was like, everybody get up. We're going to move all this to where it goes in mere minutes. So I think the Halloween Christmas 
thing for me is like the storage situation is a little bit of like Jenga in there, right? And so I have to put the majority of the Halloween, Halloween, not fall, Halloween away. And my family used to get very upset about the whole like, you cannot, I can't believe you're putting up Christmas before you've even had Thanksgiving. And I said to them, you ungrateful beasts, do you know how much work this is? This is an enormous amount of work. And I used to kill myself to try to get it done because I wanted to enjoy it the max amount of time. So I try to get it up in like one or two days after Thanksgiving. And I was exhausted. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that anymore. I don't owe you people anything. And so now it is a slow trickle. I don't like to put out the Santas too soon. I like to mix Santa with the fall. But like the cedar, the garlands, the gooseberries, they can coexist. They can coexist. I think they can coexist. It's a slow trickle. I've been thinking about whether I want to go ahead and get my tree out and not decorate it, but just oh, get I do it that. out. Mm-hmm. We have this calendar from church that suggests something that everyone should name that they're grateful for every day. It's a really fun list. It's things like a song that you're grateful for, a book that you're grateful for. Okay, I'm going to need you to send me that list. Yeah, Because it's a good my list. current practice, I'm trying to do unexpected joys and gratitudes. Yeah, this would be a good prompt for you. I'll do that. And Ellen picked up the calendar and she said, oh, this is really fun. And so I thought, well, maybe I should just go ahead and get my tree out and we should hang our responses. And this could be Love our it. gratitude tree until Thanksgiving. Nothing and wrong then with that. we switch over to our Christmas decorations. Well, the most adorable part of everything you just said is tree singular. No, I do just have the one tree. You're living a less than life. I don't want to be judgmental. You're living a less than life if you only have one Christmas tree. I have one, two, three, four. I have five full-size trees, one of which is 12 feet tall, and a couple mini trees. And, yeah, they all go out. I just pull them out. Like, they're all sitting around my house. One's plugged in on a timer. The other two aren't. But they're not. Now, one of those will be a real tree, so it's not out. You can't put a real tree up at the beginning of November. It will die and catch your house on fire. But other, like, the regular-sized artificial trees, they're up. I just—listen, I, I like a tree with just lights on it. Why shouldn't I have a few weeks with a tree with just lights on it? I love that whole journey for you. I have mm-hmm. no judgment about it, and I also mm-hmm. am not inspired to go get more trees for my house. You don't I'm even happy just with my situation. Just a one tree upstairs. You have three family rooms. What if you watch a Christmas movie and— Tragically, there is not a Christmas tree in the room you're watching the Christmas movie in. Somehow I muddle through. I don't know. I, f- I, I feel the holiday spirit. I don't anyway. know about that. I don't know about it. I don't. I'm worried. I'm worried and concerned. I really enjoy just our one tree. I used to want to have more trees because there was a family in my hometown that had a tree in every room and they were decorated thematically and I loved it. Yes. And now that I am the responsible party on that, I'm a pass. And I just enjoy my one tree. Well, and I will tell you this. Now, I have a situation that I've had to really strategize around this year. Storage-wise, decorating-wise, I buy ornaments as souvenirs. What's happening is they're really adding up on me, guys. Because I don't even limit myself on a trip. It's not like I bring, like, one ornament back. If I see an ornament and I like it and I'm out of town, it counts. See what I'm saying? Because ornaments are not expensive. You talk about like a little $5 here. And then all of a sudden you come back from a trip and you have like five ornaments. And you're like, that's going to add up. And it has. It has added up over time. And I used to put everything, including my sentimental ornaments, on a real tree. And it's not up for the job. Real trees are beautiful. They don't hold ornaments as well as artificial trees. It's just the truth. Don't DM me. Um, And so I'm like having to break them up into themes. It's a good thing I have all these other trees to spread them around on. Didn't I solve this problem for you, though? 
You did. I did. Share this idea. It's very good. Okay. I said instead of getting ornaments on your trips, get a bookmark. I love having a bookmark from places I've visited. They're very small. Again, they are cheap. They do not take up much space in your suitcase at all. Because I love a mug, but they take up a lot of space. And you can always buy an ornament from like a tiny, tiny shop. Yes. You know what I mean? And I like being in the tiny, tiny shop and buying something. It's a good idea you've had. I've also thought about going back to charm bracelets. I have the most amazing charm bracelet from high school, college, in my early 20s. Like, because charms are e- easy peasy, teeny tiny. and you. But I don't wear the bracelet. I'm a podcaster. I can't wear a loud bracelet. So that's a fundamental flaw with my charm bracelet plan. But I do really like the bookmark plan. And now we've gone very far afield from holidays, decorating, and storage. But that's okay. This is the risk of smushing multiple ideas together. (laughs) That's right. Just got to smush them. But listen, you got to talk about all these ideas together because it matters, this sort of Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas. And the other place where this really set me free is when I thought about the fact that, like, in Europe, because they don't celebrate Thanksgiving, they get a bunch more Christmas. And I was like, I will not be denied. I will not be denied extra additional weeks of Christmas. So I put stuff up in beginning November, and it does not come down till. Epiphany, mid-January, because I just love it. I love it so much. Can I tell you about one more thing related to this amalgam? Because I feel like part of what I do poorly is think about Advent. I think about Thanksgiving. I think about Christmas. I struggle thinking about Advent beyond, like, the Advent calendars, which I make sure I get for my people. So I've decided two things this year. The first thing is I want to think about the Christmas cards or the holiday cards, because I do receive cards that are not Christmas cards. But the holiday cards, I want to think of as a piece of Advent. Okay, okay. I like where this is going Mentally, I want to make that turn to like, this Mm -hmm. is part of the waiting. Here are are pieces of my people coming in, but we are Mm -hmm. not really celebrating yet. And I think that would be a, a nice shift. And I would like to reflect more on my cards. I'm trying to think about how I'm going to display them differently so I can really spend time, like, meditating on the cards as they come. The other thing that I'm doing this year for myself as an Advent calendar, because the truth is, I don't want 25 of any one thing. There's just not a thing I like enough to want 25 of it. Well, they're not all like that. I know, but I don't really want 25 little things. I just don't. Okay. So... I'm making myself a poetry advent calendar. I saw that, and I do love that idea. I saw it on Instagram when he posted it. Yes, a bunch of our listeners have sent me poems. So now I've got poems that I've never read before. I'm trying not to read them as they come in. I'm just copy-pasting them into my calendar. It's very hard. I want to read them immediately, but I'm not because I'm saving them. So every day I get to open up a new poem, and it's even better because they're poems written by our listeners so that there's like a warmth of relationship around it. And I'm just, I'm really excited about these these ideas. Well, let me also recommend to you, I think I've talked about it on the show before, December Daily from one of our executive producers, Allie Edwards. She's incredible. If you she don't follow incredible. Ellie, listen, I cannot go off on this because it will add another 20 minutes to this podcast and sorry, very long. Allie's a genius. Just go look up AllieEdwards.com. You're going to see. But she does this incredible practice called December Daily. And it can be, it's a whole, this is why Ellie is a genius. It can be this whole spectrum. Like it can be very involved. It can be very light. But it's just every day you're chronicling this time of year, which slows it down, which helps you capture it. Because I was having years where I would just like have a couple pictures from Christmas Day. And I'm like, I'm 
expending an enormous amount of energy on this time of year, and I should have more captured memories to show for it. But she, her emphasis is always on stories, too. Like, what story could you capture every day? These little things that happen during the season that if you don't write them down or if you don't take a picture, if you don't document them, you forget about these little things like, you know, the way you would decorate the Christmas cookies or the way your kids felt getting the Christmas cards from the mail. Just like those little things. So I think you should look into December Daily. I really do. Mm -hmm. I like that idea. You could just do a journal. Like one year I did a journal. Some year I just take one picture. Some years I've had like whole entire like scrapbook layouts. It just depends. But I love December Daily. It's a good idea. I loved savoring September. Yeah, I just Just that framework made me approach the month in a healthier, happier way. And so I'm really going to work on Advent this year and, and having a posture about it. Listen, the reality is we're old and we have to find ways to slow down time. It's true. I hate how much I feel the cliche, but it's it's just real. It's the work of being old and that's fine. I'm not sad. I don't I don't say being old as a pejorative. Just so people always like show up in my messages and be like, don't say old lady, you're not old. What if I if you're an old lady? And I'm like, no, no, I'm claiming it. I'm, I think I love being an old lady. I'm probably claiming it a little earlier than most people would define me as that because I think it's the best thing to be in the world is, in fact, an old lady. Well, what a gift to enjoy your time so much that you want to slow it down. Yes. That's right. how I feel. Exactly. Whew. A lot. What an episode. We covered a lot of ground here, guys. If you need a nap, it's okay. I think I do. But we did it, and I'm proud of us, and I love hanging out here with all of you. Okay, we do have to wrap up, though. Thank you for being with us today. We hope that today's show was helpful and that you'll share it with someone you love. Don't forget that we would love to see you in Louisiana or Mississippi later this week. We'll be back in your ears on Friday with a wonderful conversation with Jessica Gross of the New York Times about religion and the the religious nuns, N-O-N-E, in America. And we're sharing a conversation with Vanessa Zoltan about her book, Praying with Jane Eyre, and continuing that conversation about the role of religion or the absence of religion in our lives. So can't wait to share that episode with all of you. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsu Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our Managing Director. Maggie Pinton is our Director of Community Engagement. Xander Singh is the composer of our theme music with inspiration from original work by Dante Lima. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. Catherine Vollmer. Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. Linda Daniel. Emily Neasley. The Hutchins! Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uveline. Nick and Elisa Valelli. Amy Whited. Emily Helen Olson. Lee Shea McDonough. Morgan McHugh. Jen Ross. Sabrina Drago. Becca Dorval. Christina Quartararo. The Family! The Adair Family. Jeff Davis, Melinda Johnston, Michelle Wood, Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller. We don't need my take on takeout.
I was say, you should have my Thai takeout. It's excellent. It works out really well. Well, I think there are. It just depends on the food you're. Yeah. That's true. It's not like pizza's bad. Right. It's like, it just depends on the food. <laughs> but like Mexican is terrible as takeout. No, you can't take out Mexican. That's true. Um, you can put this all in the outtakes, guys. <laughs> <laughs>